will continue as long as we are on this earth. Uh, that's the bad news. Uh, I don't think we ever come to the point where that struggle no longer happens to us. But here's the good news. Jesus is coming again. And he's going to release us from this body of flesh so we never struggle again. Anybody want to say hallelujah? Now, we have to learn how to say hallelujah in the church. You know why? Because I read in the book of Revelation that in heaven there's going to be a multitude of people shouting hallelujah. Jesus is coming again, and he's going to release us from this body of flesh. Hallelujah. Amen. I hope that, you know, it's not just our charismatic brothers that can say hallelujah. We really can say it too. So if God touches your heart and it flows out from inside of you, then you can say hallelujah. But there's some more good news. The other good news, the other part of the good news is Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can have victory on a regular basis even while we are on this earth. And then there's some more good news, which God has designed his church so that we can care for each other and help each other while we are here struggling to live for Jesus. So the good news far outweighs the bad news, and for, which, for that we praise God. The great preacher, S.M. Lockridge, stated that a sermon ought to do four things for you. First of all, it ought to stretch your mind. It ought to instruct. It ought to inform you. It ought to, secondly, it ought to tan your hide. It ought to correct you in your thinking and in your action. Thirdly, it should warm your heart. It should inspire you. And fourthly, it should provoke the will. It should challenge you to do what the Lord would have you to do. So my prayer this morning is that all four of those things will happen during this message. The first thing I want to say is this. God is a God of relationships and community. Spencer has already stated that our God is a triune God. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, he is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God who established a covenant relationship with his chosen people, the nation Israel. And in the New Testament... God formed his people, calling them the body of Christ, the family of God, and the bride of Christ. All of these concepts suggest relationships and community. So this morning, we want to look at the church as it was in the book of Acts and see what we might glean from that for our lives today. So I'd like to, to have you take your bulletin and let's read this passage out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So these early Christians, according to this passage in Acts chapter 2, devoted themselves to four things. The teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread or meeting around the Lord's table, and to prayer. And this morning I want us to focus on that second one, that concept of fellowship. This concept of fellowship as we read here in Acts chapter 2, led them to do the following. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions and gave to those in need. They were breaking bread on a daily basis, eating together, and they were praising God and enjoying each other's company. And God added to their number daily. Did you get that? God added to their number daily. It wasn't just during the altar call on Sunday morning. It wasn't just during an evangelistic campaign. It was every day as God saw the lifestyle of those people and the community concept that they lived in, God said, this is great. I want to be in this. And he added to their number on a daily basis. So I want us to understand this morning this concept of fellowship. The word that is translated fellowship here in Acts 2.42 is the Greek word koinonia. Perhaps you have heard that word because different times people have used it. Even groups have called themselves koinonia groups. It comes from the word koinos, which means communal or common. Those of you who have studied uh, the New Testament in the Greek language understand that the Greek of the New Testament was called the koine Greek. It was a common Greek. It was the Greek spoken by the common people. And the word koinonia, which is an interesting concept in the New Testament. It's used throughout the New Testament. But I think the translators really struggled with trying to translate this word. So they translated fellowship. They translated association. They translated partnership. They translated even contribution when people were making a contribution, financial contribution to those who were in need. Let me just share a few of these with you this morning. For example, 1 John 1, 3 and 6 and 7 says that our koinonia is with God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, 
That then becomes the basis of our koinonia with one another. So as we have koinonia with God and with Jesus, that sets the tone then for us, our koinonia, one with the other. Paul writes to the church in Rome in chapter 15, verse 26, about the koinonia the churches in Achaia and Macedonia were pleased to share with the poor in Jerusalem. So in your Bibles, the word will probably be contribution, but it's really the word koinonia. They made a koinonia to the people in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 5, verses 7 and 10, you may remember the time when uh, Jesus told Peter to push the boat out. He had taught the people, and then he said to Peter, let's go fishing and Peter said, Lord, we've fished all night and we haven't caught anything. But if you say so, we'll go. So they went out into the deep and he put the net down and the net was so full of fish. The Bible says they called their partners who were James and John. And that word is koinonia. They called the people they had a koinonia relationship with and said, you guys better come over and help us or we're going to lose the whole catch. So this word koinonia has the concept of reciprocate um, uh, relationship. It's a reciprocate relationship. I, I like to say it's a relationship of privilege and responsibility. And I take that from the example of this partnership that happened between Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were in a koinonia relationship. So when the, the net was so full of fish that they, they were afraid of losing, the, it said the boat began to sink. It said they called to those people that they had this koinonia relationship with to come and help them. So James and John had the privilege of participating in a huge catch of fish. But they also had the responsibility to get over there and help them or they were going to lose everything. When the churches in Achaia and Macedonia took up that offering for the poor in Jerusalem, they had the privilege of sharing with those people in need in Jerusalem, but they also had the responsibility of sharing with those in need. So in the church of Jesus Christ, where our relationship is based on koinonia, it is a relationship of privilege and responsibility. I have the privilege of being a part of this body of believers here. You have encouraged me. You have blessed me. You have blessed us on our mission activities. But I also have the responsibility of coming alongside of you, of encouraging you, of praying for you. And yes, even when it is necessary to tan your hide. That's a part of being in the body of Jesus Christ. So when we come to Acts chapter 4 now, in verses 42 to 44, we see this church again. 
it says that they were united, one in heart and soul. They had everything in koinos in common. They testified with power the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and abundant grace was upon them all. Friends, as, as, as I see it, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his children, of his people. When, when we are in dynamic worship, when we are pouring out our hearts in gratitude to the, to the Lord for who he is and what he does, God cannot stay in heaven. He has to come and be in our midst. And when the church of Jesus Christ learns to live in genuine community, this kind of community that happened in the book of Acts, the Bible says God is right there in the midst of this. And they were living in abundant grace. There was no needy person among them. They sold what they had to meet each other's needs. So this early church had a deep sense of community. And it was a church filled with the presence and the power of God. Isn't that the church you want to be a part of? Isn't that a church we want to be a part of where we are so filled with God's power and presence that our, we become a vacuum? We become a, a, a vacuum and people are just drawn to Jesus through us. And it's a very exciting time. I love to read the book of Acts. Every time I read the book of Acts, I get excited about the church. I know the church today it has a lot of problems and we struggle, but that's okay. It's a part of life upon this earth. But there is a life to be lived here on this earth where God is glorified and his power is in our lives. And it's exciting to be a part of what God is doing. That's the church that we want to be a part of. And God kept adding to this church. Now here's the, here's the question. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Why do we struggle to be engaged in that level of community today? Why do we struggle to be like that today? As I reflected on that question, I was thinking the very essence of who we are in America, commercially, is capitalism. And I'm not going to get into the debate of whether capitalism is good or bad or any of that, but I want us to understand this. Capitalism teaches us to be very individualistic and independent. There's a high emphasis on independence in capitalism. I was taught by my dad to work hard. In fact, my dad in the early years didn't think too much of preachers because he didn't think they worked. Because they weren't in there, you know, turning the soil. They weren't in there making the cheese. They weren't doing manual labor. So I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin among all those German families. In fact, we were talking about this yesterday. In that region of northeastern Wisconsin, a thin woman was looked upon with disdain. 
you had to be a little hefty if you were going to be a good wife because all those farmers wanted to have a woman that could work out in the field with them, that could lift bales of hay, that could push a cow if they had to push a cow. So skinny, thin little women were not really valued in that society. In fact, my dad kept on saying to Neji when we got married, you're a little bit thin, aren't you? And, and you ought to put on a little weight because thin women to him did not value. So all of you women who are here today who have put on a little weight, pat yourself on the back and say, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. But it was a part of that culture. And there was a hard emphasis on manual labor. But out of that, the concept was this. You work hard. You gain your independence so you do not have to depend on anybody. Now, the consequences of that is that, and, and I've read this many times over in our society, we end up struggling with close and transparent relationships. Think about that if that is true. We end up struggling with close and transparent relationships. However, as we see in God's word, God's plan for the church is that we live in community. We live in koinonia. We live in those kind of relationships. So my question to you this morning is this. Did God create us to be independent or to live in community? The God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the nation Israel, the God of the church today, did he create us to be independent or to live in community? I believe that living in community is a key principle of God's people. And I say that based on the number of times we find this word koinonia in the New Testament and also the number of times, and Spencer has also mentioned this, the one another's in the New Testament. The New Testament is full of this concept of community and building relationships. We need each other. We need each other. Do you believe that? We need each other so we can encourage one another, speak truth into each other's lives, pray for one another, and out of that the whole body is strengthened. Let me tell you a story out of my own life. I was a missionary in Brazil for 17 years the first time. And we would come back every three years and spend six months in the state visiting the churches that supported us. And each time the churches would get together and they'd find a home for us to live in near one of those churches. Now, I want you to be aware of how subtle our enemy is, how subtle Satan is. 
On one of those occasions, I was at a fellowship dinner at a church, and I saw this woman working on arranging the tables, and in my flesh, the thought came to my mind, what a beautiful woman. I wonder what it would be like to be married to a woman like that. Three years later, we came on furlough again. This time, it worked out for us to be in that very city where that church was. When we were on furlough, I had nothing. I didn't have a typewriter. typewriter. That was a few years ago. Uh, I didn't have a, a computer. I didn't have a printer. I didn't have anything. So I would go to the church office where this woman worked, and I understood her to be a devout Christian, dedicated Christian woman. So I would go to the office to print off this, that, or the other things, a sermon or, or whatever I was working on. And this very woman, that very woman I'd seen three years earlier who was working at the church office, one of those times when I was working there, she said, I wouldn't mind going to a motel with you. And I didn't know what to say. And I didn't know what to do. I figured the best thing to do was to run. So I left and got in my car and drove home. But she pursued me. And my wife had just gone through, my first wife had just gone through cancer, um, a brain surgery, and she wasn't the same person she was before. And uh, she didn't have the energy to take my three teenage daughters around shopping and stuff. So this lady came and would take, she became a friend to my girls. But it was all a big uh, trap set up by the enemy. And you know how I, when I, at first I was enjoying the attention. You know how those guys are. I was enjoying the attention. But I was also committed to discipleship. So I started meeting with one of the elders of a church to have coffee on a regular basis. And it turned out that his wife was good friends with this woman. And one of those times he said to me, you know that situation? Because he knew with this woman, he says, I want you to be very careful. That's all he had to say. You need to be very careful. And when he said that, it hit me. And all of a sudden, I came to my senses and said, if I don't take care of this, it could ruin my marriage, it could ruin my ministry and my mission work. And that's when I began to back off from that attention. Nothing ever happened. But it was just a trap the enemy set up. And if it wouldn't have been for this guy... My brother, with whom I had a coiner relationship, who had the freedom to say to me, be careful. Who knows where this thing might have gone? We need each other. We need each other to speak truth into each other's lives. And that is the plan of God. So how do we get this community? Genuine community only happens when we really work at getting to know a few people well. Jesus, think about the life of Jesus. 
there were the multitudes that he spoke to. Then there was the 120 that were there on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. But beyond that, there were the 12 that he spent most of his time. I can't be done already. I told my wife to signal when I had five minutes. She's already signaling there, and I haven't. All right, thank you very much. We will move ahead. Sorry about that. So uh, where was I? I even lost my place. So he had the 12, and then within the 12, he had the three. So the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God in the world is there, and we need to be aware of what God is doing around the world. We know that there's the church in the U.S., and we need to be aware of what God is doing in the U.S., and we need to know what God is doing in our city, and we need to build a relationship within Redstone Church and in our community group. So we need to focus. We cannot win the whole world. We cannot win this whole country. We cannot win this whole city. But we can influence a few people for Jesus Christ and help them become true followers of Jesus. So I want to challenge you this morning to think about refocusing on a few people. And I realize in our busy time that we need to repurpose our time. Repurpose. You understand that word? We're repurposing everything. In fact, my wife has repurposed so much stuff in our house, I don't think we have any new furniture anymore. Everything is being repurposed. I want to challenge you this morning to repurpose your time. Recognize. That Jesus is not only your Savior, but he is also your King. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. I want you to know that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and King, and he sa- our Savior. He said, Lord first. So one of the things we're going to all have to come to grips with is what does it mean that Jesus is my king? So do I independently set up my schedule? Or does Jesus influence my schedule? Getting to know a few people well requires that I make that a priority in my life. I understand that it's important because of God's concept of community. Getting to know a few people well will help us not to make false assumptions about people. And I have done that my whole life. I look at people and I make a false assumption, either on appearance or just on a few statements. I'm sure you guys have never done that. But getting to know a few people and asking good questions and listening will help us so we can really minister to one another. Now, I want you to there's, uh, hear what uh, Peter said to us guys. And this is interesting. In 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, Husbands, in the same way, He says, you husbands, I translated this. Let me read what I put down. You husbands in the same way, that is, in that same attitude of submission he's talking about with the wives. He says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives 
in an understanding way. Do you hear that? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I have been married 27 years twice. I still don't understand women. Now, if you do, you come and talk to me. But Peter says, live, and actually it's the word gnosko, which means live with your wife in a knowing way. Get to know her. Get to know her. Husband, it's your responsibility to get to know your wives. And I want to challenge you this morning by saying this, church, it is your responsibility to get to know a few people well so you can minister effectively in each other's lives. I want to say this. Because each of us have unique experiences in life. Each of us have experiences we would rather not have gone through, but we did. I lost my first wife. Would I like to go through that experience again? No way. But I understand this. I can minister to people who have lost dear ones because of the experience that I've had. But here's the thing. All of us have gone through experiences where God is molding us and using us for his glory. Spencer, Jerry, and Daniel, Karen and myself, we don't have enough experiences to help each and every one of you. But in this body, God has given all of us experiences where we can effectively minister in the lives of each other. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the family of God. It's called koinonia. It's called living in community. And together we can help each other become healthy followers of Jesus Christ. Things that we cannot do by ourselves. That is the concept of community. Look what Jesus, the example of Jesus here in your bulletin. This other scripture in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He also likewise partook of the same things. In other words, Jesus became like us. Jesus became like me. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, and look at here at verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Jesus did that. That's our goal, is to know each other, to understand each other. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when, he, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you hear that? Because Jesus suffered through temptation, 
he was able to help each of us. And because you have suffered through temptation, you cannot do what Jesus did. You cannot die on the cross to save us from our sins. He has already done that. But what we can do is we can take the experiences of life that we have suffered through, the temptations that we have suffered to, and we can become merciful High, uh, not high priests, we can become merciful priests to one another because the Bible says in Revelation that God is made of a kingdom of priests. We are priests. You are all priests. Spencer may be the one, and Jerry and Daniel, they're on staff to lead us, and God has called them to do that, and that is good, but they are only our leaders to help us become the priests of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen for that? Is that true? God has given this body everything it needs to become a healthy body, an exciting body. But it's going to take a sacrifice of time and our ability, our, our, our independence so that we can really minister to one another. In closing, I just want to remind you of what James tells us. James says in 5.16, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other. So what? You may be healed. God has healing for each and every one of us. Do I need healing? You bet. Do you need healing? I'm sorry, but you do. And if we will pray, if we will confess our sins to each other, not to everybody. I confessed a few of my problems before you here this morning, but I didn't go into any deep stuff. I'm only going to share that with a few friends that I trust. And that's the same with you. Find a few people you can trust. Get to know a few people well. And let's develop a community here where God is exalted and God cannot help but come powerfully into our midst and add to our body daily those he is being saved, those he is saving. Amen? So if I tanned your hide any today... I am not apologizing. May God speak to your heart and help you to become his child. But I also hope that I warmed your heart. And I hope that I stretched your mind. And I hope that I provoked your will. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, there's one more passage of koinonia in the New Testament that I want to share with you. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 and following. And it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a koinonia in the blood of Christ. Now, your, my translation has participation, but the word is koinonia. And is not the bread that we break a koinonia in the body of Christ? 
Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. Do you get that? There is one loaf. There is only one body. There is one body and we all partake of the one loaf. We are one body, the body of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we are that one body is because Jesus paid the price when his body was broken on the cross so that you and I could have koinonia with this body. The Catholic Church took it to a different level and said that this actually becomes the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to try to explain all of that to you. I just know this. This becomes the koinonia of the body of Christ because the Bible says that. And the cup that we share, is it not the koinonia of the blood of Christ? This cleansing blood that washes away all of our iniquity, all of our sins. My friends, we struggle with sin, but we are not condemned by sin any longer. Jesus took care of that on the cross. So this morning, there are two things I would like for you to do as you come together to participate. Number one, Understand that this is a body participation. If you're in a community group, I'd like for you to find two or, two or three other families of your community group joined together to participate in the Lord's Supper today. If you're not in a community group, this is a family here. Just grab yourself, join whatever groups are around. And then after you partake of the Lord's Supper, I'd like for you to pray, one person from each family, pray for one other family in your group. Let's pray for each other. Just whatever the Lord lays on your heart, to pray for each other. Let's be in community. And then also, if you have a struggle in your life that you need help with, James McNeil and Karen Trigg are back there. And they're ready to pray with you individually or even as a family. But let's be the family of God. Let's be the community of God as we gather together around the Lord's table today. Let me pray for us. Father, we are truly grateful.